Hello, this is Senator Katie Fry-Hester, and you are listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties and your best source for Maryland politics and policy. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here today with Michael Sanderson and Dom Butchko. Michael and Dom, how are you both today? We are recording virtually, but the big news is General Assembly is in session. It's Thursday, January 13th. How are you both feeling? I'm feeling like there's 89 more days to go. How are you feeling? <laughs> That's, that feels like a lot right now. I know I know how the cycle goes, but geez, I don't know. Um, I'm doing okay. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm the remote guy and, and recording from home today, so... I don't know, that might be how it is for a little while, I guess, but doing all right. It looks that way. But now it's time to get down to business, and COVID continues to disrupt what we used to think of as the normal legislative process. So we'll get into that. Plus, we're seeing a chorus of pleas from our local EMS and fire companies who are generally maxed out at this point with this pandemic. We'll talk about what they're asking for and how we can help. And we'll touch on some early session proposals emerging as big topics for the 2022 session. Gentlemen, let's start with the General Assembly back in session. Annapolis is still weird because of COVID. I can tell you that right now. But I mean, we've, we've talked about, I think, on previous episodes, the House and the Senate plans for doing the people's business amidst the pandemic, virtual hearings, limited floor time, et cetera. Dom, what are your general thoughts so far? I mean, and, and what are you hearing out there in terms of protocols that are being followed to make sure that everybody's healthy and safe for the 2022 session? So I think since the last time we talked about it on the pod, the Senate had more or less adopted the same plan that the House did. Committees doing remote hearings, um, at least, you know, in the interim, I think it's until around Valentine's Day. It looks like the House is going to stay off the floor for several weeks, focusing on committee work, state redistricting. I'm guessing that means members are going to stay home in their districts, um, home rather than Annapolis through the week. Yeah, it's it, it's unusual, and I guess we we don't yet know. Like we had a weird session today, and I guess we can mention that. But it it sounds like the House, first of all, both chambers have adopted some special rules of procedure to to govern how the Senate and the House delegates are going to do their business. And the the House has now a process of pro forma sessions, which apparently they're going to gavel in on the floor of the House and do just some like ministerial business and and you know the kind of stuff that's completely non-controversial and that the members have nominally signed off on like go ahead and do this i don't need to be there to push a green button on something as boring as yes let's introduce bill number 244 and assign it to the right committee that's that's i've never heard anybody object to those sorts of things and no one really ever does so you don't necessarily need to have a giant gaggle of delegates on the floor and in the chamber to do that kind of business. It sounds like it's going to be pro forma for the next few weeks, right? Yeah, I mean, today it was two. It was a two-minute floor session, just reading bills and assigning them to committees. Nothing big. Yeah, I mean, it definitely felt different for for you know guys like me. I mean, I'm used to the floor every day, even when there's really nothing to do on the floor. We're used to 
somebody reads a prayer or an invocation, and then there's usually a guest or two, and they give an award to the champion volleyball team, and they talk about some procedural things, and they make mention of what the committees are doing, and they introduce the pages. And like even when there's nothing to do, they're on the floor for like a half hour with things. And today was bang, bang, two minutes, we're out of here. Well, just just yeah. different. It's going to take time for me to adjust. Yeah, no, I think that's what we're going to see. And we saw that last session as well, the pro forma stuff. And I don't know. I mean, it, it sounds like legislators, at least in the House, could go home and zoom in from home if the committees aren't going to meet in person, even to hear a virtual testimony. It sounds like they're not doing that and they're going to try to get through, you know, hopefully what is the, the worst of it in the next month or so and then get to the floor. But I do think that what this means, especially because the House is already hearing bills, that once they do come back to the floor, those floor agendas are going to be huge, right? And the committees are going to hear these bills. They're going to have to sit on them for a while, even if they're voting them out. And then once they get back to the floor, I feel like there could be a, a big logjam of second reader bills. I mean, that that's almost inevitable, right? I, I guess so, right? I mean, if, if they're not going to take up bills on the floor during any of these pro forma sessions, which would be obvious, if, if, if folks are just participating at the committee level for the next few weeks and the committees are going to grind through lots of hearings and maybe some votes on low-hanging fruit kind of stuff then instead of it being dispatched on the floor it's going to wait um yeah it's good it's going to be sort of like you know getting through the panama canal you're just going to have to wait your turn and you'll you'll get your number called but that certainly makes it sound like mid-february is going to be maybe stickier than usual yeah i would think so and I think Dom mentioned the, the Senate. We know that they have plans to be virtual until around Valentine's Day, and then they hope to, to be in person. We'll have to see about that. But, but yeah, things are definitely strange, and I think we were all hoping we could, we could get back to, to somewhat normalcy, but it's not happening at least yet. We'll put links on the show notes for all the procedures. They're on the Conduit Street blog, how to testify, how to sign up, how the committees are going to meet. All of that will be there for you. And I want to transition now to another COVID-related topic. And, and Dominic, this is one that you've been following closely. This has to do with emergency medical services, EMS, and their, their, their new round of messaging with COVID in this coordinated effort. So throughout this pandemic, I mean, we've, we've gotten used to hearing about hospitals, right? And we've heard and we continue to hear that they're reaching their capacity limits. The word gets out. And I feel like everybody sort of understands what that means. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all kind of gotten sadly, we've gotten used to that drill because we've kind of gone through a couple cycles of that with the with this pandemic and with COVID having its various waves. But you, you, you get the sense that, okay, under certain circumstances, like if you were going to have an elective surgery, maybe that doesn't happen. It gets rescheduled. Or if for some reason you have to be in the hospital or at the emergency room or a place like that, then there's an extra risk, right? If they're if they're handling lots of intake of COVID patients, then if you're there because of a badly broken leg or a heart issue or something like that, then there's an extra layer of risk of just being at the facility. Um, I know you know a number of people who have been through this in just the, you know the last several weeks. So we're I think we've kind of gotten attuned to what that means at the hospital and at those treatment sites. So that's. Now that we've sort of absorbed that a little bit, the last few weeks we've been hearing from emergency medical with something that's kind of similar and similarly concerning. Right. So th this wave is a little different, but it is something that we're we're sort of used to. 
Um, just like there are only so many hospital beds, um, our healthcare system is huge and there are only so many ambulances and, and trained medical technicians that can transport you. So it, it, it parallels and lines up EMS services. They're strained. And just like sometimes they put out messages, you know, please change your smoke detector batteries. We're doing this for you. Um, EMS is putting messages out to us on social media. Um, we need your help today because it this is it's just so bad a couple of counties that just came across my email recently and this is not an exclusive list but Anne Arundel County St. Mary's Charles Howard Allegheny Talbot all of them basically every corner of the state is putting out guidance um and so some big things that listeners need to realize uh word of the day triage 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 if you are going to an ER, if you are if you are having an ambulance come to your house, um, you are going to get triage based on your systems or based on your symptoms. So people are seeing incredibly longer wait times. Wait times that might be half an hour um, are now hours long. I think on one press release I saw uh, like 24 hours someone waited. And, and there's not much you can do about it. Yeah. The, the resources are limited, right? And I think it's a great comparison that you make. Just like hospitals, where you only have so many doctors and nurses and support staff, same thing with with our emergency medical services that get people to the hospital, right? We only have so many ambulances. We only have so many of these frontline first responders that are trained to do this incredibly important work, and they are stretched thin at this point. So you're right, Dom. It, it is all about triage. And at this point, it's like they have to take case-by-case basis and decide whether or not that is going to be more important than the call that they just got five minutes ago. And so that it does create an extra layer. And, and I can tell you for these people that do this work, this kills them, right? They, they want to get there right away every time and take care of people because that's what they do every day. So this is not only, you know, not only operationally, this is having an effect, but also on the, the people doing this, the people that are out there driving the ambulances, the people in the back of the ambulances providing this care, just the fact that they can't get to everybody that they want and need to get to really starts to create a strain on them mentally as well. And I think that's that's something that we we often don't talk about. But these people are this is what they do. And they love to go and help people. And if they can't do that, I think it wears on them a lot. It, you are entirely right. Now, I want to synthesize some stuff for our readers. Um, all these EMS groups, they're putting out this guidance. So these are just some basic things that please listen to because um, this is going around across the state. First, please avoid going to an emergency department for minor, minor illnesses such as coughs, colds, and low-grade fevers. If you can go to an urgent care or seek some type of non-emergency medical service for those symptoms, please avoid the ERs because they are overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Also, if you're looking for a COVID test, there are COVID testing sites. There are ways to get at-home COVID tests. Please don't go to an emergency department to get one of those. Yeah, I think that's you know the one of the pinch points is the emergency room at your local hospital, and you know I think a lot of people have become attuned to that's where you go when you don't really know how to deal with something that feels urgent and feels serious, um, and you know sadly there are there are folks who end up using that as their point of care for things like I've got I've got a cough I can't shake. So I don't, I don't really have a primary care doctor. So, you know, fortunately, there's 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 like a, a gown of other service providers like these sort of, you know, pop-up uh, urgent care facilities. And hopefully you've got a connection to a doctor or some provider in your community 
whom you can reach, but we're just, we're, we're short on emergency vehicles and we're short on staff and beds at the emergency rooms in the hospital. This is a tough spot. One of the things that stood out to me, and you know, I, I've seen all these releases come across and I, I think in Talbot, you know, look, the, the bottom line is 70% of people that they're seeing hospitalized are not vaccinated and fewer than 5% have received their booster shot. So get vaccinated, get the booster because it's overwhelming our hospitals. And you have people that do have emergencies. Uh, let's say somebody has a heart attack or a stroke. And, you know, now they can't get treated because there's not enough room in the hospital. People are taxed. And so what's happening now is we're, we're filling up with people that aren't vaccinated and come down with, with COVID. And then we cannot do the things that we quote unquote normally do, which, you know, emergencies that, that people that do need immediate care they're not able to get it necessarily as fast as they could. And the same thing with elective surgeries, right? Like those are gone out the window for now because things are just too tight. There's not enough resources. So I will say, get the vaccine, get boosted. It's the only way we get out of this. And we need to relieve our healthcare providers, our hospitals, and our folks that get the people to the hospital, our frontline first responders, the EMS people that do this every day. They, they're just, they're overwhelmed, Dom. And I know you're hearing about it every single day, like you said, from across the state. And, and just to underline that a little bit more, Kevin, too, in Anne Arundel County, the COVID positivity rate has reached over 30 percent. Oh, almost 92 percent of intensive care units are occupied. Nine, almost 92 percent. Some medical experts are projecting this to go for an additional 45 to 60 days. Like this is a serious problem and it's not a problem that's going to end tomorrow. So I, I just don't remember this happening before that. Like, I, I thought that, you know, analogy, like that our, our, the fire company, the local volunteer company or, the, you know, whomever is basically saying, you know, please make a smart decision in what kind of care you seek. We just don't have a place to take everybody in, a, in, a, in an ambulance right now. Wow. I mean, Okay, so that's that's the nature of where we are, just as a function of numbers. E even if this variation is not as severe in, in overall, just the number of people who have caught it, who are symptomatic, and who need care, uh, we got a clear room for them. So anyway, we're we, all of us are going to be part of the solution of getting through these next few weeks. It looks like. And Dom, um, this highlights what we're doing this session. What Mako has adopted as an initiative. And it is to, to support our EMS, these frontline folks, and, and make sure they have the resources they need. And there is a hearing coming up next week, Dom. And again, what's happening right now, I think, really, really drives home how important this is and why we need to make sure that these people have the resources they need to do their job. Yeah, I, Kevin, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's really important for our listeners to know that MAKO is taking this EMS issue very seriously. Um, we made it one of our legislative initiatives this session. And we're, we're what, going to be in the second week, first full week of, of session, and we already have a bill hearing. So for those of you listening, it is HB 44 um, from Delegate Hornberger. The hearing is Wednesday the 19th at 2.30 p.m. Um, as it sits right now, HB 44 um, intro introduces funding increases. Currently, you call 911, the ambulance shows up, they can only get reimbursed for $100. In 2021, 2022, that is just not sustainable. So we want to increase that amount from 100 to 300. We need to get reimbursements for the care that's provided by EMS as well. 
you're not only getting transported, there's care done at your home and to the facility that you're going to. So we want to get um, that increased also to $300. We want to allow for mobile integrated health. And just to underline this in this, this COVID conversation we're having, Allegheny County right now is already doing a form of that. They're using EMS to evaluate in the field to determine if it's appropriate to take you to an emergency department or somewhere else. So Allegheny County, who is experiencing higher rates of COVID is already implementing something like this. And previous listeners of the pod and the Conduit Street blog will know that other counties have implemented similar MIH measures. And so, and then finally, um, we also want to allow to transport um, to urgent care and other facilities when appropriate. Uh, all the information that we're hearing right now is hospitals and emergency departments, ERs, are being overwhelmed. It is not always appropriate to transport a patient to uh, an emergency room. Sometimes they have more acute issues going on. So we want to be able to transport those patients to the appropriate facility. I think this is this is that exact situation where like this this bill in one form or another has kind of been kicking around for a while. And local governments have been supportive and our our fire and EMS companies have, I think made the case. I, I don't think that the point has ever been this sharp that that you know right now right now your emergency room at your hospital the odds are that they are bursting at the seams and to still have a law on the books that's more than 20 years old that basically says the only thing hospitals are there to do is pick you up or excuse me the only thing that an ambulance is there to do is to pick you up and take you to a hospital that's the only kind of care they provide it's just it's preposterous. Like we know that the, the 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 smartest and the most forward thinking among our fire and EMS services are the ones who are saying, let's reach people earlier, let's be smarter, let's get them what they need, let's do it quickly, let's do it efficiently. And if that means we solve their problem in their living room, great. But our law has not caught up with that reality. And never before has it been quite as urgent as it feels right this minute. And that's exactly why this is an initiative. That's exactly why counties are highlighting this issue. That's exactly why MAKO is at the forefront here. And that's, we're putting a lot of shoulder into this because as you said, Michael, this is something that's been kicking around for a while. But look, we're at the point where we need more than a Band-Aid here. We need more than a one-time grant or something like that. We need a sustainable way to support these services over the long term. That's exactly what this bill is going to do, and that's exactly why it's so important. So, gentlemen, we'll leave it there with EMS. We have a lot of issues, of course, brewing for session and a lot of stuff that we're going to talk about in the weeks ahead, including the governor, some tax cut proposals. And that's, you know, one of many ideas on how to spend a, a surplus. The state has a lot of cash, and I think that's going to, you know, it's going to be a you know, contradictory to some of the stuff we're hearing from General Assembly leadership about, you know, short-term spending and capital. But if you're, if you want to propose long-term tax cuts, that's, that's something that sticks around and it's a recurring cost. A lot of talk about capital, transportation, that's also connected to the surplus. Crime issues, big deal, both judicial and monetary. Again, that's going to be part of a, of a swirl of ideas on how to spend this money. And then cannabis, you can smell it, pun intended. <laughs> But it, but it feels like it, it's coming this year after all, in one way or another. There are differences of opinion on, on how, to, how to do this, how to make adult use legal. I think that you know, the, the Senate still wants to develop a framework before you put something before the voters. The Senate also 
has talked about, maybe we just pass a bill. We don't have to put it on the ballot. But the House of Delegates seems intent on getting something on the ballot for the voters without necessarily having all of the details ironed out. So a lot of stuff going on. Climate change, of course, also is going to dominate a lot of this session. So and we haven't even talked about state redistricting on this episode. Right. So I think that's going to be the focus in the near term here. Uh, while maybe people are at home or or whatever they're doing when they're not on the floor. So a lot of stuff going on, gentlemen, and we're going to have it all covered here throughout the session on the podcast. So dial in. This is the place you want to be, and we will cover stuff that affects the counties but also is on the minds of everybody who's following policy and politics. Conduit Street Podcast is here for you. And I do have to give a shout out to, to Michael. Michael, you got named as one of the 100 most influential influencers, Marylanders, in the work that we do. You want to you want to toot your own horn for a second or are you are you too embarrassed? I think that's that that's fine. That's an org chart thing, right? That's saying that counties are important players and you know somebody goes to the website and they pick my name, but that that's fine. What that's a testament to, I think, is that in Maryland, county governments are who most residents look to for the things they care about the most. And that's why counties matter an awful lot in the policy process in Maryland, because we fund and we deliver and we support all this stuff we've just been talking about with emergency services. And we pick up your trash and we plow your snow and we fund your schools and your libraries. We support your community college. We you know, pave your roads. Hopefully we'll do some more of that. That's that's what that's really about. So not about me. It's about us. I like it. Dominic, any any closing thoughts from you? Uh, this is my my first session. I am super excited. Um, I just have to thank the two of you because I still can't believe that like this is my job and we get to do all this. So I, I jokingly said it feels like there's 89 days left, but I also feel like, oh, my God, there's only 89 days left. So I can't wait to see what we do. All right. So, so we'll leave it there for today. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, please go ahead and subscribe. That way, all of these episodes will be sent directly to the device of your choice. You can also follow along on social media. Facebook and Twitter, and then of course the Conduit Street blog. But for Dominic Butchko and Michael Sanderson, this is Kevin Canale signing off, and we will talk to you soon. <laughs>